0: one second there we go welcome to the tuesday night bible study we are in revelation chapter four at the very end of that chapter the little backstory if you're here for the first time on Zoom or here in person revelation is a book of visions that god gave to the apostle john all the other apostles have died but this time he's extremely old he's on the island of patmos where god has him right where he wants him even though he's there as a prisoner god is using that time to give him revelations about the future uh verse one uh, verse 19 of chapter one explains that the he's supposed to write down the things that are at that time the things that will soon be and the things that he's seen uh, in the past and that's what he does um We've seen the seven letters to seven churches that apply to each one of us. That's chapters two and three. And now we've taken a field trip and we're still there to heaven. Chapters four and five, we get more information probably about heaven than we do from any other place in the whole Bible. You remember Paul went to heaven, had a vision of heaven. And he even says, I don't know whether I was in the body or out of the body, but God knows. And he says he saw things that God did not allow him to share, to speak of. Well, John is told, write these things down, what he's seeing. So now we're in heaven and seeing an amazing vision. So let's finish the chapter. Uh, Let's see. So I know that you're awake. Say amen. Oh, that was a good one. Those of you on Zoom, say amen. I see it. I see my amen sign. Oh, there's another amen sign. I love it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) they're muted because there's so many of them that would be a little loud cacophony of sound anyway the central word i think it happens 13 times in the chapter four is the word throne john doesn't attempt to describe the one on the throne which is god the father but the throne is central everybody is mentioned in terms of where they are around the throne and so There are some strange living creatures, uh, chapter uh, four, verses six and seven and eight. Um, And they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and it is and is to come. That's verse eight. So then there's 24 elders. We talked about them last week, could be a representative of all believers, 24 being an interesting number because 12 apostles plus 12 tribes. 24, it's possible, can't be sure. Um, We left off uh, at verse 11, which says uh, that these 24 elders lay down their crowns before the throne because they realize the crowns are their rewards, but they realize they would never have done anything for the kingdom of God had it not been for God enabling them, giving them the opportunity, giving them the gifts. So their glory, they're sort of taking off and laying at his feet. Uh, at the end of verse 10. And this is what they say, verse 11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. So they're praising him for and, and ascribing to him glory and honor and power, and especially praising him for the fact that he's the one that created all things uh and it was by his will that they were created we know from the new testament that christ jesus was at the forefront of the creation also as creator we looked a little bit last week at that colossians 1 hebrews 1 all kinds of scriptures talk about jesus as the creator as well so besides the word throne i want you to notice how often there is worship and praise in heaven um Let's see, do we want to go to some of these verses? Yeah, let's take a brief detour. I know it's early to do so, but it's good exercise for your fingers. Go to Colossians chapter one. So from Revelation, take a left and go backwards, maybe 12, 14 books. Um, If you get around Ephesians, um, it's two books to the right from Ephesians. Colossians chapter one. We're just going to be here a second. He's speaking of Christ in chapter one of Colossians. And he says about him in verse 15, he, that's Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, speaking of Christ, verse 16, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were, listen to this, created by him and for him. Whose world is this? Well, it's God. God's. Yes, but it was created for Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ as well. He is before all things, verse 17. And I love the physics of the rest of that verse. And in him, in Christ, NIV has all things hold together. One translation has, in him, all things consist. Um, he's the cohesiveness for all things in the universe. Pretty amazing. Okay, now flip over to Hebrews, which is maybe seven or eight books to the right. Hebrews chapter one. I just want to look at the creator aspect of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews one. Um, let me see what verses I want one, two, four, eight, and 10. Okay, in the past, chapter one, verse one, Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he god the father made the universe he made the universe through jesus um i can't resist reading verse three the son that's jesus is the radiance of god's glory and the, I use this verse with Jehovah's Witnesses and with Mormons, listen. And the approximate, is that what it says? The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Look at verse uh, four. So he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Um, skip down to verse eight. Eight. About the sun, he says, your throne, oh, what? God. Your throne, O oh God, will last forever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Look at verse 10. He also says, in the beginning, O oh Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. He's talking about Christ. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. Pretty amazing. Okay, we could go on and on, but Jesus Christ, creator, sustainer of the universe. Go back to Revelation uh four if you will um let's see so they're acting out their declaration by bowing to him and by that praise that they uh speak there uh by the way that's the reason we exist to bring glory to to praise and honor god our father all the other stuff is great family occupation hobbies but we live to make uh god uh, to bring glory to God to those around us. Okay. Chapter five. Chapter five is all about a sealed scroll. Okay. Scrolls were made out of papyrus and they were glued together. It's like a brown paper. Um, when we went to Egypt years ago, my wife and I, we saw how they make papyrus with plants, uh, complicated process, and they're doing it 2000 plus years ago. The pieces would be uh glued together basically the scroll of the book of revelation would be about 15 feet long at each end there would be sticks that would be glued or sewn into it and then it would be rolled up so it would end up looking like two scrolls two rolls and you can read with one hand and roll up with the other hand kind of thing in any case there's a scroll in heaven That's what this whole chapter is about. It is the most important document in the universe. More important than the Bible. Yes, I'll show you why. And this chapter is going to, we're still in heaven. The judgments start in chapter six and go all the way to chapter 18. Most scholars, not all, but most think chapter six to chapter 18 is a description of, The Great Tribulation, a seven-year period at the end of the world before Jesus shows up. So it gets pretty uh, amazing from there on. But I just wanted to give you a little background here. Um, Lots of men have tried to rule the world, and no one's ever been able to do it. The rightful owner or ruler of the world, as we saw, is God and Jesus. Um, We're going to see that today as well. Um, so let's see, he's got to take the universe back from the curse that happened in Genesis chapter three with the fall of Adam and Eve, but there's a lot more to do. We'll talk about what else has to be done. So when the scroll was all done, it would be all rolled up if you can picture it. And then it would be wrapped tightly with string and tied. And then on each of seven knots on the string or twine would be seven seals. A seal was a little bit of wax that would be melted onto the knot, if you will, to hold it in place. If you were a person of power or influence, you would have a signet ring with your little logo of your family or your logo in particular, and you would press into the soft wax your um, signet ring, on each of seven seals. Keep in mind, you can't read anything of the scroll until you open all seven seals. It's not like you can open one seal and read a little, open another seal, read a little more. Seven seals. Old Testament, Jeremiah, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a uh, somebody's last will and testament that is spoken of, and it's sealed with seven seals important documents were sealed with one seal really important documents sealed with seven seals this document you're going to see in this chapter is in god's hand as i said it's the most important document in the universe uh and we'll get to why in a second so uh in that old testament uh passage and another passage there is within the scroll a title of property, like you would have title on your house kind of thing. So we're going to have to ask the question, what is the scroll? And I'm going to give you multiple choice. I'm going to give you several ideas. This is one of those instances where I believe all of them are right. It is all of the things we're going to mention. One of the things it is, is the title deed, if you will, to the earth, to the whole universe, really. It's the title deed. And the question in this chapter is who is worthy to open the scroll, take off the seals and get the whole thing going. Uh, We already talked about that. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't want to wait on that before I talk about that. Um, So. uh, In the new Testament, Several times we are told that Satan is the small g God of this world. Uh, Paul writes the whole, uh, John writes, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Since the Garden of Eden fall, God is still God, but Satan is the small g God of this world. Do you remember when Satan tempted Jesus? Uh, I think it's Luke 4 or Matthew 4, one of those two. Uh, He tempts Jesus, do you remember, three ways. One of the three things he says is he takes him to a mountaintop and shows him all the kingdoms of the world supernaturally and says to Jesus, Satan does, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down and worship me. Of course, knowing Jesus, he would never do that. He quotes scripture every time to respond. My point is what Jesus does not do when Satan says the whole Kitten and caboodle the whole universe all the kingdoms of the world they're mine i'll give them to you jesus doesn't say no that's not true because it is and so if you wonder why governments are corrupt rex and i were talking about that earlier weren't we if you wonder why there's such problems on planet earth Whether it's war, or people stealing from one another, or child abuse, or rape, or murder, or lying, or whatever it is. All of those are hamartia in the Bible. Fancy word, it just means sin. It's a Greek word. And all of it goes back to one moment in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. Whatever this uh, scroll is, it is the key to reversing all the bad stuff. It is God bringing justice, true justice to the earth. No Johnny Cochran's getting people off. If, if they committed a crime, they'll be judged. It's also a time for Christ to return and reward all believers. It is a chance for Christ to take back planet earth, um, right all the wrongs, take back the title deed of planet earth. Um, Throughout the world, there's been a lot of loose ends. So-and-so ripped people off and he got away with it. So-and-so murdered somebody and he got away with it. And the answer is in the Bible, no, he didn't. No, she didn't. In the end, there is absolute total justice. And one of two things happens for all sin. Either if Harold over here sinned, either he pays forever for that sin Or if he's a believer and has confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and uh, in that case, all of Harold's sins were on Jesus at the cross, and he is, instead of being punished, he is rewarded for faith. That's the only two possibilities. There's no third gray area. That's it. Okay. This scroll is also God's will for the earth. So it's a title deed, it's God's will, it's all judgment, it's all reward. Some have said it's the whole of scripture as well. And it's all bound up. Daniel is told in the book of Daniel seal up the scripture, seal up the prophecy till the times of the end. We may be close, who knows? Um so this is the comprehensive program for God for the future where he ties up and I'm going to bring this metaphor back in a second. He ties up every loose end uh let's see the emphasis is not so much so far on the scroll or even the seals it's on who can open it let's dive in shall we then i saw verse one of chapter five then i saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne that's god the father A scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Where's the scroll? It's in God's hand. Okay. And so it's him who sat on the throne. As I said, he doesn't try to describe God. I don't think there are words to describe God. If you read chapter four, he describes the setting and the glory and the lightning and the green rainbow. Do you remember that? And a sea of glass in front of him and peals of thunder. And, but he just doesn't try to explain God. Um, So there it is in his right hand, a scroll with writing on both sides. Um, This is extremely unusual. Scrolls were almost never written on both sides. You write it on the inside and roll it up. For a scroll to be written on the outside as well, sometimes when they wrote on the outside, it listed who was able to open it. Not always, but sometimes. The other thing about it is it it speaks to the fact that there's so much information in this scroll, they couldn't fit it all in on the inside. They had to do it on the outside as well. It's God's comprehensive plan for planet Earth. Verse two. John sees the scroll and is told to write in the hand of God, and he senses the importance. Watch verse two. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? This is a mighty uh, angel. We don't know who it is. A lot of people think it's Gabriel because Gabriel means strength or might of God. Gabriel, E-L is God. Some angel is giving a challenge to the universe. Who can open the scroll? Uh, specifically, it says, who is worthy? Worship is a word that comes from the word worth in english someone's worth they're worth so much that's why we bow to them that's why we worship them so he asked the question who's innately inherently worthy in character holiness virtue who's the rightful heir who is able so with that you would have to say once we know what's in the scroll you're also asking who can overthrow satan who can wipe out demon power, who can judge sinners, who can reward the faithful, who can obliterate death and sin once and for all, reverse the course, take the world back. Who can? First, let me tell you who can't. Abraham, Adam, Noah, Moses, Uh, Anybody in the Old Testament, King David, these people were so honored by the Jews. How about in the New Testament, Peter, the head of the apostles? No. John the Baptist? No. John himself, an apostle? No. What we're about to see is nobody. The answer is nobody can open it. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? You have to break all the seals, plural, to open the scroll. Verse three, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. No one. Now, why is that? Well, you would have to be, first of all, sinless. That eliminates everybody I mentioned and everybody else in the universe, right? And if it's a title deed, you would have to be able to buy back the property right and so there is uh there was a rule in judaism that you had to be if somebody if jesse had a property and had lost it and someone was going to buy it back for him they had to be listen three things related to jesse family member Jesus is related to us in that although he was fully God, he lowered himself to become a human being with flesh and blood on planet earth. So he's related to us. That's number one. The second thing is the person had to be willing to do it, to open the scroll. But the third thing is able. The reason the only person is Jesus Christ, you already know, don't you? Because you've been reading ahead. I saw you. He's the only one that's able to open this scroll. He's the only one that is sinless, the only one that actually paid the price. We'll see that in a second and exactly how he did so. Um, So John chapter uh, five, no one's able. John verse four, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. In the the Greek, the way this reads is not he shed a few tears. It means he was weeping uncontrollably, like wailing. And it's such a big deal that he gets it, that this scroll is the centerpiece, the main thing. Maybe he thinks all the promises of God for justice, for reward, for heaven, for eternal life, all of them, are now on pause, like a video on YouTube, or they're all temporarily on hold, or maybe they're canceled. He's wondering, you brought me up here to see this, and now there's no one? So he's weeping uncontrollably, wept and wept, NIV has, because no one's worthy. Verse five. Oh, Um, there's a scholar in fact he's a relative of a friend of mine uh, in Las Vegas there's a scholar named W.A. Criswell he writes about this John cries all the tears of the history of planet earth every tear uh, the tears of Adam and Eve Eve as they had to leave uh, Eden as they mourned the loss of their son Abel do you remember that Cain kills Abel all of the tears of Israel uh, in their bondage, the tears of God's people who were persecuted, who were martyred, the tears of all injustice, of all pain caused by whatever it may be, the tears of death, the tears of disappointment, of suffering, of heartaches, all the curse of sin is behind it all. So he's crying the tears that have... uh, be, you know all humanity has had that same feeling that something's not right will it ever be resolved verse 5 then one of the elders remember the 24 elders one of the elders said to me do not weep really it's it, it, literally it's stop weeping do not weep see or behold it's like look wow check this out the lion, of the tribe of judah the root of david has triumphed he is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals so we got to take this verse apart um first of all the lion of the tribe of judah goes back to all the way back to genesis 49 where uh jacob is describing all the tribes of israel and when he gets to judah Uh, In Genesis 49, 9, he talks about Judah being a lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah, that phrase was a Messiah phrase. When Jews heard that, they knew you meant the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah. By the way, the word Judah means, the name Judah means praise. Of the 12 tribes, Jesus, you would think would be in the tribe of Levi, a priest, not. He's in the tribe of Judah the tribe of praise. So there is of this tribe, one member of the tribe that is a lion. Why a lion? It's the strongest animal. We call it the king of the jungle, right? It's fierce. It is stronger and more feared than any other of the animals. But I want you to notice that he is the lion of or from the tribe of Judah. And yet he's also the root of david okay so david's family was the royal family the kings came from david's family for david and then eventually solomon etc the bible is picturing the the tree the family tree of david as having been sawed off at the dirt it's done there's no more kings but out of that stump comes a new shoot a new tree Jesus calls himself the root and the offspring of David. Both. The root, meaning the source of David. He created David. He was before David. He's greater than David. And yet he's from David in terms of his family. He's both. So this is the lion. This is good news. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious or has triumphed. In what way? in a really ironic way. If we talk about military leaders and I say, so-and-so just won a huge triumph, a huge victory, you would expect that he won a huge battle. He, against all odds, he won a war. He's coming into town on a white horse as a victor. Jesus, folks, won the battle. He triumphed In a way that was so unexpected for the jews the jews quoted lion of tribe of judah when they talked about the messiah what do you mean we've talked in this bible study a lot about the fact that there are two sets of scriptures in the old testament that predict a messiah one set is the lion of the tribe of judah He is victorious. He comes to the earth to rule on the throne of his father, David. He um, punishes all evil. He punishes the enemies of Israel who persecuted her. He punishes all the people that persecuted Christians. He punishes all sin. He rewards righteousness and faith. He takes the throne of the whole world, the lion of the tribe of Judah. When a Jew talked about the Messiah, that's what they expected. What do you mean? I mean a strong leader. I mean a military genius, a political military leader who would show up and take control. That's what they were hoping for to overthrow the yoke of the Romans, to overthrow the yoke of anybody else that was persecuting them. We want the Messiah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's one set of scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah. But there's a whole nother set of scriptures but talk about a different, sounds like a different guy. Uh, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. Um, turn with me just for a second to Isaiah 53. So how do you find Isaiah? You go to the middle of the Bible and you're close, basically. Usually the middle of the Bible is around Psalms. If, if you're in Psalms or uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, take a right and go to Isaiah 53, if you will. Isaiah 53. I could spend six weeks here, but I won't. I just want to show you. This is the Jewish scriptures. Several hundred years before, seven or eight hundred years before Jesus shows up, Isaiah writes Isaiah 53. It's a prophecy about the Messiah. You say, well, we already know about the Messiah, Joe, the king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The other set of scriptures presents a guy that is a suffering servant, okay? They are the same person. You say, how can that be? The first time he comes to planet earth, he's the suffering servant. He dies for the sins of the world. The second time he comes, the second coming, don't expect the meek carpenter, the baby in Bethlehem. Don't expect that. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the conquering king. But let me show you an example. Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant who has believed our message and to whom of the arm who to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed he grew up before him like a tender shoot remember the shoot coming out of the stump like a root out of dry ground he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him okay who is this guy Isaiah he was despised and rejected by men this is Jesus the first time he comes A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him. We, the Jewish people, esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Now notice the synonyms for suffering and for sin. Watch. He was, verse 5, pierced, suffering, for our transgression, sin. He was crushed, suffering, for our iniquities, sin. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, suffering, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him. This is the Messiah, the suffering servant. The first time he comes, what did he lay on him? The iniquity, sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. Led like a what? Lamb. That's going to come back in a second. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. That word is in Revelation 5. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Verse 8 by oppression and judgment remember all the seven false trials he was taken away and who can speak of his descendants did he have children that verse says no for he was cut off from the land of the living now if you're a jew reading this you're saying oh they kill him whoever this dude is cut off from the land of the living for the why was he cut off for the land of, from the land of the living end of verse 8 for the sin transgression of my people. He was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. He dies with two criminals, remember, on the crosses. And with the rich in his death, Joseph of Arimathea gives him his tomb. Remember that? Though he had done no violence, no sin, no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will, God the Father's will, to crush him. Otherwise, he can't save anybody. There's got to be a sacrifice for sin, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God. And though the, land, the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, that means he dies, guilt offerings weren't just injured, they were killed. He will see his offspring, that's you, and prolong his days. Um, after the suffering of his soul, verse 11, he will see the light of life, resurrection. He'll justify many in that verse 11 and bear their iniquities. Uh, okay, that's just one we could go to Um, psalm 22 which talks about the suffering servant on the cross having had his hands and his feet pierced there's no question there are suffering servants uh, uh scriptures about the messiah the question the jews had was how could this be the same person must be somebody different it's the same guy okay wanted to cover that um so the lion of the tribe of judah um the root and offspring of David goes back to Isaiah 11 by the way um so um keep your finger go back to Revelation go to Revelation 22 for a second let's see I told you we'd finish Revelation tonight uh go, go to Revelation 22 the last chapter almost to the end of the last chapter go to verse 16 I Jesus have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches I am the what the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. That's Jesus. He's both. Um, let's see. We already talked about that. So because he overcame death, he overcame the world. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Remember that he he overcame sin. He never sinned. He was tempted by the devil directly. And he didn't sin because he was willing to give himself humbly listen as a sacrifice for sin, he's now the lion of the tribe of Judah. If he didn't come first as the lamb, he could have never been the lion, but we'll see um, kind of an amazing picture in a second. Um, He's the only one. Who else could die on the cross? Well, anybody could die on a cross, but would they be sinless? No. Could they rise from the dead? No. He's the only one. That can open the scroll for that reason. So he's, John is told, don't weep. Look, behold, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll. Don't worry. Someone is able and willing and related to us. He's able to open the scroll. So what's implied in verse six is that John is told, behold, the lamb of God and the elder is gesturing if gesturing if you will and so john does this turns around expecting remember those mgm movies where the lion roars he's expecting a fierce lion verse six then i saw a lamb now there's two words for lamb in greek and in hebrew this is the diminutive form the difference is dog and puppy cat kitten lamb pet lamb why it's it's like the weakest smallest cutest lamb possible why here's why because in the old testament when god tells the jews i'm about remember all the plagues the last plague is death and he tells the jews i'm about to bring death to the firstborn of every household Here, because they're persecuting you and they won't let you leave but you jews listen carefully he tells moses every head of every household the man is to find get a lamb not just any lamb a lamb without blemish meaning sinless perfect that's the one we always hear, and we know, Joe, they're supposed to, unpass over, they sacrifice the lamb, they kill it, yes, and then the blood goes on the doorposts, and they eat the lamb, they roast it. That's all correct. But did you know the process was not immediate? The rules were, find Jeff, you're the head of the household. Find a lamb without blemish, and for four days, bring it in your house. Really? Yes. So that you kind of get attached to it. And the kids are starting to really like playing with it. It's like a little pet. They might even name it something. Oh, no, no, don't name it because Jeff knows four days from now. But there's great grief when the lamb is slaughtered because he's part of the family now. After four days, Jeff's job is to kill the lamb. And the kids are going, Dad, what are you doing? Right? Kill the lamb they cook it and they eat it, take it in, put the blood on the doorpost. God passes over those houses and doesn't hurt anybody in that house because that shows they had faith in what God said. So the lion, John, turns and sees this little cute little lamb, but there's something unusual about it. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. The word is It's too gross for Americans, so they changed it. You know what word it is? Slaughtered. And yet it's standing. What's going on there? Listen, in heaven, everything, I have a list later I'll show you. Everything's new. New heavens, new earth, new name, new this, new that. The one thing in heaven. That you will see that's man made are the wounds of Jesus Christ. I think he'll still have the wounds here in his feet, maybe the scar from where the crown of thorns was, hands and feet, a big hole in his side, maybe. John turns and sees a lamb as if it had been slain, and yet it's standing at the center of the throne God, deity. Standing meaning what? Well, wait, it looks like he's been slain. He has been slain, but he's risen. He's alive forevermore, remember? Encircled by the four living creatures, those are cherubim or mighty angels and the 24 elders. But this is, again, not an ordinary lamb. The lamb had seven horns. How many have seen a lamb with seven horns? No, you haven't, right? Seven horns, the number seven is perfection or completeness in the Bible. Horns always speak of power. Kings are said to have seven horns, total power in that country. This lamb has seven horns, period. What do you mean? I mean, he has total power in the whole universe. He has the most power, complete and perfect power. Seven eyes, eyes in the Bible speak of insight, wisdom, knowledge. He knows everything. He's omniscient, and omnipotent, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, knows all things. And the seven eyes are the seven spirits of God. We saw that a couple chapters ago, the sevenfold spirit of God. There's the Trinity, Father, Son, now the Holy Spirit. He has the Holy Spirit. He got it, on baptism day, remember that, descended in the form of a dove, the seven spirits of God set out into all the earth, because he died for the sins of the world and ascended, he could send the Holy Spirit back in a form that could disperse out into the world, so that the Holy Spirit is in every believer, whether they're in China, Egypt, Brazil, or coarse gold California, wherever they are, believers, including all of you, if you believe, have the Holy Spirit within them, Is it almost time? Yes, it is time. Let's take our two-minute break. It's a good time to stretch our aging bodies. Don't go away. Those of you on Zoom, I'm just going to turn my screen off. I'll be back in two minutes. There we go. Welcome back to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. Um, So the lamb now becomes the central figure in the story, along with this mysterious scroll the lamb is the central character in the whole scene he's been slain and he's alive ready to complete his work if you will um as i said if he didn't come as the humble lamb the first time he would never be able to come as the conquering lion the king the lord the second time um we already talked about that all uh, jesus says all authority in heaven and earth have been given to meet matthew 28 um the principle though of the humble lamb now becoming the king is that humility is always precedes exaltation uh okay verse six there he is central figure now at the center of the throne the lamb seven horns seven eyes seven spirits of god send it out into all the earth So there's action now, and John watches in verse 7 as he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He takes the scroll from his father, God, proving he is able to do so, right? Presumably, if anybody else tried, by the way, no angel could do it, as we said. Certainly Satan couldn't do it. Gabriel and Michael couldn't do it. No one could do it. The Messiah had to be fully God, sinless, and fully man uh, to be able to pull this off. It's an amazing thing. He's the only one. Let's also include Mohammed and Buddha and Confucius and every other religious leader. Could Billy Graham? That's a pretty holy dude. How about Mother Teresa? Forget about it. Or well, forget about it if you're from New York, right? Only Jesus Christ. Um This handing off of the scroll is a symbolic transfer of power. God has a plan for the earth. He's handing the plan to the guy that can make it all happen. Um, He's going to execute judgment. Um, Yeah, we already talked about that. Okay, verse eight. So he takes the scroll out of the right hand. So you can hear a pin drop up in heaven. There's no one worthy. John's wailing like a little baby. And then the guy says, stop, don't cry. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, which is he? He's both. He comes the first time as a humble lamb. He comes the second time as a lion to rule. Um, Let's see verse eight. And when he had taken it, there's an immediate reaction in heaven, in the throne room. By the way, I said last week, don't picture the throne room like the average size of a bedroom or a large family room. Picture it as an indoor stadium, okay? I think it's grandiose. I think it's incredible. Verse eight, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures, those are cherubim, remember how weird they are? Six wings, eyes all over the place, um, four different heads. We talked about that last time. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the throne no before God the Father no before the lamb proskuneo it means worship and the and the way it was done is you get on your knees and then you touch your forehead to the ground or to the earth as a sign of absolute submission and worship when my wife and I were speaking of Egypt I mentioned earlier when we were there several times I can't remember if it's four or five times a day they play through a PA system that would fill a stadium in every city the call to worship uh, which is in uh, Arabic and it's all this weird language and I don't know what they're saying but no matter where you are we were in a jewelry store in in downtown Cairo just kind of walking through something to do before waiting for some tour we were going on and there's all these people in there Instantly, when they all hear that, the men, this is in a jewelry store, all get down on their knees and touch their forehead to the floor in worship of Allah, which is a false God, I'm sorry to say. It's amazing, the men that are devout Muslims, you can totally tell by looking at them, believe it or not, because they all have a bruise or dirt here. I'm not kidding. And it doesn't wash off. They do it five times a day, every day. They all have a dark spot on their forehead. Um, So that's what's happening in heaven. They're all bowing down to Jesus. If Jesus, the lamb, the lion is not God, then this is blasphemy of the worst kind in heaven. But he is. He receives worship when he's on the earth, if you remember several times. And so they're all falling down uh, to worship this God. Let's talk about the Trinity for a second. I know we've done this 20 times in this Bible study, at least. Because you say, wait, there's God the Father on the throne. Yes. Is he still there? Yes. But the Lamb is Jesus. Yes. And then there's the Holy Spirit. Yes. And the three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are the one God. Because Christianity and Judaism are mono, one, theistic God. One God. Revealed in three persons. There's three planks to the Trinity. That's all. It's simple. Number one, there's one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one what? God. But within the nature of the one God, there are three personages, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who in the Bible are all called God. They all have the same, excuse me, characteristics they're all omniscient they're all uh, um, omnipotent they know all things they have all power uh in acts five ananias and sapphira lie do you remember about the property they had the price they sold it for they are told by the apostle peter um that they have lied to the holy spirit and then peter says in acts five you have not lied to men but to God, equating the Holy Spirit with God. The the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, show up, the three of them at once, at key moments in the Bible. Creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, God the Father. The next verse says, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. We know from the verses I just read you that Jesus also is creator in God. Some see, let there be light being in a reference to Jesus as the light. Father, Son, Holy Spirit there at creation. Excuse me. Baptism of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember this? Who's getting baptized? Second person of the Trinity. Who speaks from heaven? First person, God, the father, this is my beloved son in whom I will am. I'm well pleased hear him. Remember all that. What about the third person descends in the form of a dove, Holy Spirit. There are verses in the Bible that say God, the father raised Jesus from the dead. Is that true? It is. But there's also verses that say the spirit raised Jesus from the dead in Romans. There's also this verse Destroy this temple, Jesus talking, and in three days, I will raise it up. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Answer, God raised Jesus from the dead. Plank number one, there's one God. Plank number two, there are three personages, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're all called God in the Bible. All three. The three who's are the one what. One what, three who's. Third plank of the Trinity. This is simple. But you'd be surprised people mess up on this one. The three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct. What do you mean? The Father wasn't one day sitting around thinking, I think I'm gonna put on my son costume and turn into the son. And then the son dies on the cross and rises from the dead and goes up to heaven and decides I'm gonna turn into the Holy Spirit costume now. No, the three are distinct. Jesus in John 17 prays to the Father right? The father speaks while Jesus is is, um, being baptized. The three are distinct. Is there an analogy? No. Well, there is, but it's not great. You've all heard, you know, the egg, the, the shell and the yolk and the, it's a bad analogy. How could there be an analogy that describes the infinite God? I always tell people that say, I can't really understand God. And I say, welcome to the club. If I could understand him, I wouldn't want to worship him. It would be, he's beneath me. I got it all figured out. Okay, here's the analogy. It's dumb. It's not perfect. You have in the kitchen, you got the burner going on the stove. Got the picture? Got a big pot and you fill it up with water and you put the pot on the stove. You got the picture? What's in the pot? Water. What is water? H2O, right? You with me so far? Okay. At some point, the water starts to boil and suddenly you have a liquid, but it's also a gas because steam is coming off. Oh, so there's two things in the pot, water, which is a liquid, steam, which is a gas. But they're both what? H2O, different forms. At a precise moment when it's boiling and the steam's coming off, you put in a four inch by four inch block of ice into the water. I know it's going to melt fairly quickly, but for a little while, isn't it interesting that you have a solid, a liquid, and a gas all in that one pot, and yet it's one thing, H2O, three different forms. Is that a good analogy? Not really, but it's the best one I've heard. Okay, so Jesus is God. He's receiving worship down in chapter five, verse eight. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay, that was good. You guys on Zoom doing okay? All right. Beautiful. Amen. So when he hit, as soon as he takes it, everybody hits the ground. Four living creatures, 24 elders. They fall down before the lamb. They're worshiping. We'll get to their song in a minute. But here comes the verse that is the sole reason people make fun of heaven as, oh, you sit around on clouds and play a harp all day long. Doesn't sound that exciting to me. This is the verse where they get that. They each had, each one had a harp. That word is really more like a lyre, L-Y-R-E, a zither, or even a type of guitar that you would play with your fingers or with a pick. It's a musical instrument. Can I get an amen, Jeff? A musical instrument accompanying worship. They each had a harp. Where did they learn to play? They have lessons up there you know, you got plenty of time. Okay. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense. What are those golden bowls of incense, John? Which are the prayers of God's people. You ever feel like when you pray, your prayers are going up and they're hitting the ceiling and they don't even get through the roof, let alone all the way to heaven. Forget it. They all make it. God doesn't answer immediately, but he hears every single prayer. But God's so busy with billions of prayers coming in constantly. He's God. How precious are the prayers? They're in golden bowls like incense, which is a fragrant aroma that reaches God's nostrils, if you will. He's not a man, but it's an analogy they're they're each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are all the prayers of God's people throughout all history all the prayers for including how many of you said have you have said this thy will be done thy kingdom come we're going to see it all in this book those prayers all the other prayers for healing you heard me pray for sustenance for a job for a mate for reconciliation in a marriage or a family or whatever it may be. All the prayers of the saints matter to God. They're in golden bowls up there. Beautiful. And they sang a new song. What's who's they? The four living creatures, the 24 elders. Probably John isn't standing there like this. He's probably on his knees too going, wow, this is amazing. And they sang a new song saying, and I won't sing it because it doesn't have sheet music. So I don't know how it goes. You are worthy. Wait, who are they singing to? Previous, by the way, there's five songs here. The first two are to God the Father. The second two are to God the Son. The fifth one is to both. Trinity, worship one, worship the other. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain of all things. What's the qualification for this job? A four-year degree in college, and you have to have job experience. What's the qualification for this job? Slain. Well, a lot of people have been slain, Joe, over the centuries. Not like that. Not sinless. Not willingly dying for the sins of the world. What love is shown on that cross? You were worthy because you were slain, and with your blood, you bought something bought something with his blood you purchased remember it's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world what did he purchase with your blood you purchased for god people persons from every tribe and language and people and nation okay what's going on here this is the cross isn't it the sacrifice of jesus christ it gives you the the absolute scope and magnitude of that sacrifice. We're going to take that apart in a second. Um, Let's see. Okay, I'm turning the page in notes. I just realized what I want is over there. So they're singing to the lamb. Um, In Isaiah 42, the Jews are told to sing a new song regarding a greater deliverance God is about to give them. God's about to give them the ultimate fulfillment of the deliverance of Jesus Christ. Um, So we already talked about that. Um, it's a new song. The word new appears all through the book of Revelation a bunch of times. Uh, the Jews could never sing a song about full and total forgiveness of sins once and for all, never, you know what it was slay a lamb, like we mentioned for Jeff and his family, but you'll do it again next year. Cause you sinned again. It's a temporary covering, not Jesus's death. It's permanent. So, um, Total forgiveness, it's men are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's new. They receive a priesthood, a new kingdom, a new heavens, a new earth. Notice that it's all nations. That's new for the Jews, isn't it? All nations, every language, every tribe, every people, people. It doesn't mean everybody's saved. It means from each. There are saved people from Korea, Brazil, Argentina, wherever, right? Even America. Um, A pretty amazing thing um let's see when people came into the presence of if you ever were l- lucky enough or powerful enough or influential enough you might get to meet the emperor okay caesar if you came into his presence the standard greeting in in i think it's latin uh is the words hold on i have to find it again vere v e r e dingus d-i-n-g-u-s do you know what that means you are worthy that's what they would say to the emperor that's not what's happening in heaven they're saying that to jesus christ and him only you are worthy because he was slaughtered so before it was praise for god's creation now it's about redemption it talks about the price he was slaughtered who did it he did it the worker of redemption it talks about redemption being a ransom that you would pay to release slaves um and that's what he did we were slaves to sins it was a payment to god it was a payment by his own blood we talk a lot about the blood in christianity i'm fond of saying that people say you're saved by the blood listen every time the word blood refers to salvation it does not mean just blood Because if all Jesus had to do was bleed, they could have just cut him and he could have bled out a quart or a pint, put a bandage on it and give him an infusion. They didn't have those, I know. But when you read blood, it means death. By the blood of the lamb, they didn't bleed a lamb, they killed a lamb. It means his death. So anyway, um, the scope, every tribe, tongue, people, nation, the depth um, we'll see in a second here. But the scope of the praise is because of how amazing this sacrifice actually is hold on uh he's worthy to do that because um he died in their place look at verse 10 you have made them who's them the people that he bought the people all that are saved jews greeks japanese people all over the world you've made them to be right here if it just said residents of heaven or possessors of eternal life that would be amazing enough wouldn't it? God goes overboard. have you noticed? you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. That's overboard. it's abundant love, isn't it? Um, a kingdom now with a kingdom you have to have a king king of kings lord of lords jesus christ and priests what did priests do they were a representative of um of uh god to the people they also um performed sacrifices you say well wait jesus is the sacrifice that's right romans 12 says our sacrifice is a a life dedicated to him basically romans 12 1 and 2 um obedience and all of that okay you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our god and they'll reign on the earth with him we sit on his throne we said last week believers judge angels we will judge the world that's amazing with christ obviously subservient role um okay i'm still reading notes uh yeah praise for his redemption yeah it's an amazing thing Verse 10, did we already talk about that? Yes. Um, Kings. By the way, the priests in the Old Testament, I love this picture, carried the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders up high so that it could be seen. We are to carry Christ around in our obedience in such a way that the world looks at your life and mine and says, boy, something different there. I want that, that peace, that assurance, that Righteous living, not that we're perfect, but in any case, they held it up on their shoulders. I love that. Um, we already talked about that. Verse 11 Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Don't get out your calculator, this is a way of saying a lot. Thank you very much. Right, comes out to more than hundred million, I believe, if you do the math. Um, But it's an undefinable number because there's uh, thousands upon thousands, and then the ten thousand times ten thousand. What are they doing? So the choir is getting bigger, if you will. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. So now we've got all the angels of heaven that didn't fall in. The fall where Satan fell and took a third of the angels with him. How many angels are there? We're not told, but there's a lot of angels. Amen. All the angels, the elders, the living creatures, they're all encircling the throne. Verse 12, in a loud voice, they were saying, really singing. This is another song. This is to Jesus again. Number four, worthy is the lamb who was slain we sing that in church don't we uh, worthy is the king who conquered the grave that's the next line in that song worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise did you count the word and there and 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 is that bad english no listen there's a way in greek You could just do it the way you would in English. In English, you would say worthy to receive power, comma, wealth, comma, wisdom, comma, strength, right? You don't need, and, and, and. It's done in Greek and in the Bible for emphasis. And, 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 and just when you think you're done, and, look at the list again. Who has all power and all wealth, all the wealth in the universe, it's all his. It was created for him and uh, by him. And wisdom and strength, all the strength, all the honor and the glory and the praise is his. If worshiping God in church on Sunday or at home in your house alone or wherever you worship God is kind of mundane and tedious and boring for you, you need to rethink it. And here's why. Because that's what's going on up there. It seems boring to me. I don't think it will. I think the most fascinating thing will be the Lord Jesus Christ and God, the father in heaven. And it won't be boring in any way or it wouldn't be heaven. Amen. So there's that loud voice. They're singing. Now picture the whole stadium full of people. Lightning that we saw before, thunder. God is pleased that the sun is being worshipped, praised, adored. Um we already talked about that. They're prompting one another. That earlier song which was only the 24 elders and the four creatures, remember? Prompted the worship of the angels. In the in this these chapters, one is prompting the other. We ought to be prompting one another to that same kind of worship. May I say when you hear about an answered prayer, don't just say, "Oh, Cool. Thank God. That there's an, a great occasion to just worship him and praise him. Uh there's a verse in the Old Testament, I can never remember where. I want to say Isaiah, but it might be Psalms, um, which says this. Listen, the Lord, because you ever before I re- tell you, quote you the verse, have you ever felt like at a time in your life, going through a lot of stuff? Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. God feels like he's so far away. Listen. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. What do you mean inhabits? Lives inside of you, inhabit your house, right? Or if you're driving, you're inhabiting your car for that time you're driving. The Lord himself inhabits, lives inside of the praises of his people. In some way that I can't explain, if it's just you alone or you and your sister praising God Somehow God's presence is more there than if you're making a tuna sandwich. He's still with you with the tuna and the cheese. But if you're praising Him that much more. However, if you're in a building with 50 or 100 people worshiping and praising God together, how much more is His presence in that room? How much more awesome is it? Let alone a stadium with 500 people or a thousand or 20,000. Pretty amazing thing. Praise in heaven. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. May I just add, and worthy is nobody else. Not your pastor, not your Bible study teacher, not Billy Graham, not anybody else. Not Peter, not, listen, those of you that were raised like I was, Catholic, I'm going to step on your toes. I'm sorry I had a time. Not the saints. You can't pray to the saints. Don't worship the saints. Don't ask St. Anthony to help you find your keys. Worship God. There's no prayers to saints, to any human being in the whole Bible. There's no prayer to Mary, the Virgin, anywhere in the whole Bible. Are there prayers to the Father? Yes. To the Son? Yes. To the Holy Spirit? Yes. That's it. Pray to God. The prayers are brought by those 24 elders. Remember in those bowls? That doesn't mean they're interceding. There's one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go direct, pray directly. I used to go to confession. I asked one time, why do I have to go to confession? Why can't I just tell God? Which by the way, it says to do that in the Bible and to confess your sins to one another. Why can't I just go to God? I was told by a priest because the priest is an intermediary. You tell him your sins. He tells God, go direct. You don't need a priest. He's our high priest. Read the book of Hebrews. You'll see that. So this is the world record. um, Let's see uh, for the largest choir ever in one place. But I got news for you. We're going to break that record. You know why? Because when we're all up there and we're all back with Jesus on the earth, How many Christians do you think there are that have ever lived? All worshiping him at once, all singing. And man, can you imagine? I get chills thinking about it. Okay. Um, uh, Let's see, where were we? Oh, I'm on the wrong page here. Hold on one second. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Good one. Um, uh, To him who sits on the throne, yes. Uh, But verse 13, I want to go back to that. Uh, Because you know what? I have it wrong here. Yep. Verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth. Okay. Every creature in heaven, that's all the angels, everybody up there. Um, It could be all the deceased people that have believed to that point when this is happening. By the way, this is what will soon take place it's future so this does not happen in the first century when john's writing it he's given a vision of the future i want to mention that verse 13 then i heard every creature in heaven that's already a giant number isn't it and on earth wow so there's creatures in heaven when this is taking place creatures on earth and he's hearing all of them oh wait and there's more you know those guys on tv But wait, what if we double the offer? And under the earth, what's that? Those that have died, um, creatures in heaven, on earth, under the earth, but wait, there's more, and on the sea, and all that is in them, and they're singing. Okay, pause. This is, I misspoke, this is the world record for the largest choir ever. Well, Joe, there's a question here. You're saying every creature. Not every creature is a believer. First of all, there's a lot of people that don't believe. Narrow is the way that leads to salvation. Few there are that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. So there's more unbelievers than believers on planet Earth. Right? Right. But you're forgetting every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You mean every I mean, every, but there'll be two categories. You and I believers will do it willingly, joyfully with tears in our eyes, happily, because we did it when we were on the earth, praising God, right? And we'll bow to him and confess Jesus. But there's another category. And that's the people that didn't believe in him that will do it reluctantly, sadly. Oh, no he's the lord and they'll every knee will bow every tongue will confess that jesus christ is glory is lord to the glory of god the father by the way that that verse quotes isaiah where it's talking about wait for it god the father well isn't that a contradiction no you're still praising god every knee every tongue okay but now let's split hairs on verse 13 every creature even the ones in the sea, on the sea, under the earth, in the earth. Are you just talking people here? No. Cats, chickens, mosquitoes, every creature. Uh, my grandson, when he was a little boy, my daughter, there was a spider running across the wall and my son, my grandson was a little afraid and pointed it out. And my, my uh my daughter, their mom, killed the spider. And my grandson Luke thought about it and said, Mom, spiders go to hell, right? Kind of ladies, can I get an amen? In any case, every creature, everything. Okay, let me give you some unbelievable examples. Isaiah 55, 12. Because we're even going to include inanimate objects. Watch. The mountains and the hills before you, speaking of God, shall break forth in singing. What will? The mountains and the hills. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Don't you love that? Um, Go to Psalm 148 for a second with me. Middle of the Bible. You can find it easily now. You're getting pretty good at this, aren't you? Psalm 148. Not in the top 100, but it's still a big hit. 148. And uh, verse 3. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Who's praising God? Verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures. All ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds. He means for the lightning and the snow and the clouds to praise God. Stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations. Praise the Lord. Let them praise the Lord. Verse 13. Now I want you to turn to Romans chapter eight, way over in the New Testament. We're almost done. Are you still awake? Amen. Okay. Romans chapter 8, and we're and we're done. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 20, back in the New Testament. Oh, let's pick it up in verse 19. Romans 8, 19. The creation, the creation. That's everything, right? It's not just people. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation, verse 20, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. This is the fall of man. Trees aren't the same. Tomato plants aren't the same. Rocks aren't the same since the fall of man. Uh, Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. That's all from sin and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation, he doesn't mean just people, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly. We can't wait for heaven as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's hope. And that's the largest choir ever little chickens with their beaks praise the lord you know pretty amazing verse 13 um every knee will bow every tongue will confess so as i said there's four uh two hymns to god two hymns to the lamb this last one is to both of them nobody goes to heaven unless they're already used to worshiping the son and the father let's close with prayer and we'll get out of here because it's we're right on time and we didn't finish the book i'm a little surprised but we we got pretty far though let's pray shall we thank you father for your kindness and this time we could spend in your word thank you for the lamb who is also the lion without him god there'd be no one to open the scroll and the whole plan of god would be put on hold all of the judgments all of the salvation everything would be on hold and there'd be no resolution Uh, In the world, Father. Thank you for this glimpse of the future. Now we're going to see things really get interesting as we see the scroll opened, God, and the glorious, victorious coming of the Lord Jesus Christ later in this book, God. Give us a greater understanding and more meaning to our individual and corporate worship as we come together to praise you, to praise your Son. Indeed, it can be said we owe you, everything. Thank you, God, that you've given us each other as brothers and sisters as well. May we use our remaining time, however much it is, to bring glory to your name in obedience and in love, both for you and for one another. We pray these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. Very important. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time.